With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometers of range. And Toolmark, the complete tool center, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Hello everyone, great to be here for the start of another week. Gee, I'm in good hands. I've got my executive producer here, Jimmy Williams. I've got Connor who's panelling. It's great to be back for another week. 36 degree heat. Uh, I will be featuring Tim Payne, the former Australian Test captain. He's going to give us his thoughts on the Australian team that are currently doing battle with Sri Lanka. I did record the interview with Tim a short time ago, just before play got underway. And as we've been pointed out, no changes to the Australian lineup. Stoinis in there. And, of course, Josh Inglis behind the stumps as well. And the good oil for Cobram Estate, Premier Australian extra virgin olive oil. Probably one of the biggest stories has been coming out of the West Coast Eagles where Michael Pryor, the AFLW coach for the West Coast Eagles, at the post-match press conference when they only kicked two goals for the match and they were beaten comprehensively by Melbourne who kicked 11 goals, 16 in frustration, I know Michael Pryor, he's a, he's a terrific individual. Uh, he's very passionate about his job, but probably he'd like to take back what he said that all of a sudden has reverberated around the AFLW community. Yeah, tough result. Um, I thought we started OK. Our, our first half, our pressure was right up there. But at the end of the day, that's um, the team that won the grand final last year against the team that finished last in 18 teams in the comp and only 10 games, how we play that team is beyond me. That's what you get when you get fixturing like that. Well, he said about the fixturing that because the Eagles were so poor last year and finished towards the bottom of the AFLW table, and there's only 10 games and 18 teams, which is laughable as well, uh, that they shouldn't have been playing any of the teams in the top, maybe echelon of the AFLW competition. I thought He'd probably be hauled in by the West Coast Eagles management saying, Mickey, Mickey, what were you thinking when you said that? What were you thinking? And I, when I was coming to work, I knew there'd be some sort of reaction from the West Coast Eagles and they came out with a statement, but it's a Michael Pryor statement. And he wanted to address the comment from that post-match media conference after the Eagles were defeated by Nam by 70 points because it was Indigenous round. Of course, Melbourne, uh, their Indigenous uh, profile is Nam. And he says, I'd like to quote, I would like to acknowledge my comments regarding the AFLW fixturing were unacceptable after a game against Nam. It was a disappointing performance and I was frustrated, but that does not excuse my comments and they do not reflect the club's position. I take full responsibility. NAM are the benchmark in AFLW, and credit to them for the way they play. As one of the youngest lists in the competition, taking on the reigning Premier was a challenge our squad will learn from, 
as we aspire to climb the AFLW ladder. And there were positives from many of our exciting developers and players like Charlie Thomas and Ella Roberts. And it basically goes on to say that um, I can assure the Eagles members, supporters, players, coaches, staff, they'll work incredibly hard behind the scenes to fast track our growth and drive the elite standards that will take our group to the next level. The other question is about the AFLW. And we're now after seven rounds. And the amount of money that has been invested by the AFL into the AFLW. Of course, we had the collective bargaining agreement that was just ticked off just recently. The amount of publicity and marketing this competition gets is out of this world. I think any sport in any league would welcome. We know the AFL gets the profile, and rightly so. It's the number one football code in the country. But the AFLW competition is new, but gets enormous exposure. I looked at the attendances of the AFLW competition, and they're certainly not earth-shattering. The Melbourne Eagles game at Mineral Resources Park on the weekend drew 1,232 people. How many of those were paying? I don't know. But the West Coast Eagles have got 106,000 members. So of those members, only maybe 1,000 decided to go and have a look. Fremantle took on North Melbourne on the 8th of October. That was at Fremantle Oval. 2022 decided to rock up. The attendances aren't earth-shattering by any stretch of the imagination. One of the bigger attendances was Carlton Collingwood, as we know, two of the well-supported teams in the AFL competition. But when it comes to the AFLW, they drew 3,000 people. So I'm just saying that... and. Outside the people that go and the inner sanctum, I'm just wondering how much appeal this competition really has for the amount of investment that's gone into it and the publicity and the marketing goes around the competition. Now, the biggest attendance so far that I can see has been around about, let's have a look, 4,000 people, 4,312 Melbourne and Geelong, and that was the last week of September. So they're not earth-shattering figures by any stretch of the imagination. And then you've got, and I'm going to be speaking to Hannah Lowry from the A-League Perth Glory Women's Competition. These were the attendances on the back end of the Matildas' magnificent showing a little while ago in the FIFA Women's World Cup. Now, Adelaide and Canberra drew 2,800 people. 5,000 went to see Newcastle and the Central Coast Mariners. 11,000 went to see Sydney FC and the Western Sydney Wanderers. The attendance that drew the lowest was the one here, Perth Glory against Western United. Just over 1,000 people. And they expect that to grow after the A-League women's team had that great win 2-0 over Western United, who played in the grand final last year. Yet this competition gets hardly any publicity. Hardly any publicity. So it just gives you an indication where the AFLW sits in my mind. And the fact that Michael Pryor made the comment, and rightly so, but the thing that really galvanised it with me is that there's 18 teams and there's only 10 games, so some of the teams don't play each other. Why the hell did they expand the competition so quickly, and it may be 
Gil McLaughlin, who now has departed as the CEO of the AFL, may look back and there may be people that will target him to say, Gil, you got this all wrong. Like you got AFLX wrong. The growth was too rapid. And I heard someone actually mention on uh, in the media and a very respected individual, I won't name him, saying there just isn't, there just isn't the talent pool available to stretch it over 18 clubs. And people will only go to watch these matches if they get something that they're really excited about and entertains them. The footy's good. Clearly, clearly, with the attendances they're getting at the AFLW and considering what I said earlier, uh, how much it's been driven and basically put in the face of everybody, it's, it's just lukewarm at the moment at best. Anyway, that's just my thoughts on uh, the AFLW. I'd like to get your thoughts on it. Give us a call uh, on 13 12 55 or join us on the Temper of Bedshed text machine 0487 736 736. We're here for the Kia EV6 GT World Performance Car of the Year and Toolmart, the Complete Tool Centre, serving WA for 45 years. And uh, my little spiel at the top, thanks to Cobram Estate, Australia's most awarded extra virgin olive oil grown harvested and first cold pressed in northern victoria okay eight minutes past five uh, sri lanka are no wicket for 40 after seven overs just a short time ago i caught up with tim payne the former australian captain uh who just last season retired from sheffield chill cricket playing for tasmania and i just wanted to get a bit of an insight on how he sees the australian team who currently sit on the bottom before this game of the World Cup standings with a surprise win by Afghanistan over England last night. Firstly, I welcomed Tim to the program. No worries. Thanks for having me. Uh, Now, Sri Lanka is Australia's next assignment at this uh, World Cup. Uh, Of course, the 50-a-side World Cup tournament. We've lost against a couple of the powerhouses early on, India and South Africa. I suppose it's not crisis time yet. But if they drop to Sri Lanka, then maybe it will be for the Australians. Yeah, well, certainly if that's the case. I mean, who would have thought we'd be 0-2 and two and heading into a game with Sri Lanka at a danger game against Sri Lanka in Game 3. So, um, And Sri Lanka also lost their first two games, but a uh, big difference is they've posted two scores of um, 326 and 340. So they're obviously batting well. Um, they've got some guys in the middle order in form and um, we're going to have our work cut out for us, but um, as I've said across a few radio shows in the last few days, I still have faith. I still think our best cricket is good enough to beat any team in that World Cup. Uh, we've been a long way off it so far, but um, you know you only need one good game to get a bit of confidence going into momentum in a tournament like a World Cup, and uh, and we've got the quality to do that. Saying that, Tim, you know the dialogue. Everybody's got an opinion suggesting there's too much cricket, and a lot of the players look just a fraction weary. You throw yeah. the IPL in there as well, and we feel it's maybe had a bit of an effect on the likes of Cameron Green. How do you see it all? Yep. And the fact that they've been away for Australia for a long time, of course, warm-up yep. matches in South Africa, then India, yep. then into the World Cup. Yeah, and I don't think you can underestimate um, the pressure and, and stress that goes with an Ashes series before that as well. Um, you know, that's that's height and cricket. <laughs> Ashes experience is, is like no, none else, nothing else, and um, we had that before any of those one-day tours. So certainly, you know, they've tried to juggle, juggle around getting your Steve Smiths and your Pat Cummins and Hazelwoods and Starks and Marnuses enough rest to be ready to go for a World Cup. Um, but 
the the flip side of that is have has we have we had our best team on the park playing together and, and knowing their roles and and knowing what to expect of each other. So it's a real balancing act. And um, at the moment, you would say we probably haven't got it got it right, or that's that's something that people have been saying. But again, what it comes down to in game of cricket is being able to execute, and and we haven't been able to. And and when that happens, you leave yourself open to that. Did we get our preparation right? Is our game plan right? Are our individual roles correct? And I think they are. And I think the boys know their roles. They know the brand of cricket they want to play. We just haven't executed. And, and Mitch Marsh said it, I think, a couple of days ago. When you don't execute in India and you're losing, it looks a lot worse than what it is. And the flip side of that is India is the type of place when you get on a bit of a roll and you're winning games of cricket, it looks a lot better than what it is. It's, it's a place for very small margins over in India. So, um, as I said, hopefully tonight we can get off to a good start, um, put Sri Lanka under pressure, get a win and get our World Cup underway. And when things aren't going right, there's often uh, the top brass uh, coming for a bit of punishment and we're talking about Pat Cummins. He's only taken one yep. wicket in the two ODIs so far in this World Cup campaign. Had he not been captain, would he have been struggling to keep his place in the side, do you think? Oh, I don't think so. I think the lineup we're going with is with the three fast bowlers and, and there's no doubt Pat Cummins is in the top three fast bowlers in the country. There's, there's no question of that. Um, where it might change is if we had Ashenago available and we're going with an extra spinner, then you'd be probably choosing between Hazelwood and, and Pat. But um, obviously we think we can get it done. Our strength has, has normally been in our fast bowling. And I think, again, those three guys have got a proven record in every format of the game. So um, to be riding someone like Pat off after two games is probably a little bit premature and um, you know I've said it for a number of times he, he rarely has too many bad games so um, you know when you got him in your side a good one's just around the corner and hopefully that's tonight but yeah to be writing him off and saying he shouldn't be captains um, a step or three too far for me. When you look at the uh, sides that we've played so far and they've continued after playing Australia, India and uh, South Africa we've seen Rohit Sharma just plunder the attacks and score big uh, scores. And same with Quentin de Kock, who's already got two yeah. hundreds. We haven't been yeah. able to get off to a good start. So the onus is on Warner. And even Mitch Marsh has had a couple of yeah. fairly poor matches by his standards. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're, they're a huge key. Anyone's top three is, particularly in India. Because, again, what can happen in India is if, if your middle order are constantly starting against spin, it can be extremely tough and and the teams that, that are doing well you've touched on their, their top order are scoring hundreds so when the spinners come on they're bowling to set batters and that's what you want so not only you know opening the batting and batting in the top three in one day cricket now is a really important role not only do you need to be scoring fast you need to be scoring hundreds and we haven't been able to do either at the moment but again David Warner can do that Mitchell Marsh can do that we know Steve Smith can do that so again it's just purely about execution but um, yeah, the first few games, you would look at us and go, geez, we're not playing spin very well. But again, if you're consistently losing wickets and exposing new batters to the crease, to spinners at the start of their innings, it, it's the hardest place in the world. Even in one-day cricket, it, it's an extremely challenging place to start. So yeah, onus is on the top order to, to get in, go big and, and, and open up the game for our middle order. Guys like Stoinis and Glenn Maxwell and, uh, and Marnus have got power. Um, we just need to get them into a into a game where we can be um, really aggressive and taking on the spin and um, that top three hold a huge key in us doing that. You spoke about Marcus Stoinis, who replaced another West Australian all-rounder, Cameron Green, in the previous match. Do you think they'll persevere with that? Because many feel that Cameron Green is out of gas. 
Yeah, I think I think we will. I think um, the position that sort of all round is playing. Obviously, Mitch Marsh is the one that's playing at the top of the order and bowling a couple of overs if we can get them out of him. Fingers crossed, we can. And and Marcus Stoinis is the all rounder that bats at that sort of six or seven position, which is a really difficult position to bat, particularly for a young guy like Greeny, who you know most of the time he plays for Western Australia. He's batted sort of four or five, and he and he's more of a, a traditional batter if you like. So I, I see Greeny playing. A lot of white ball cricket, whether it's 2020 or 50 over cricket, but I'd like to see him batting in the top four. And at the moment, that spot's probably not there, but I think going forward in years to come, that's where you'll see him play in the top four of white ball teams. I think he'll score hundreds. Um, but for right now, the role is that sort of six, seven, last five or six overs. And I think Marcus Thornis is really well suited to that position. So just having a look at Australia, as we know, we play everybody. It's a long uh, campaign. The top four go through to the semi finals. But tonight is pivotal, isn't it? You can't afford to drop the match against Sri Lanka. Otherwise, you'll be chasing your tail with some big nations still waiting for Australia. Yeah, still some tough games. New Zealand, uh, England, who lost last night, which was lovely to watch, I must admit. Um, But, yeah, it's a funny thing, this World Cup cricket, particularly in Indian conditions. You see last night Afghanistan, but England, I don't think anyone would have thought that. But in those subcontinent conditions, you've got lots of spin and you can bat first and you get runs on the board and you can squeeze teams, anything can happen. So, um, yeah, we've got a, we've got a tough run, but, um, yeah, it's not to say it can't be done. And if we can, as I've said plenty of times in the last week, if that Australian team can play their best cricket, um, I'm confident we can beat anyone on any day. And finally, yes, what would they be saying, the Fleet Street Press uh, in England, after England succumbed to Afghanistan? Nobody would have thought that would have happened. But England have got a tendency at World Cups, they uh, do. occasionally dropping matches to supposedly, with inverted commas, the Minnow Nations. Yeah, well, and even losing the first game to New Zealand without Kane Williamson, I thought was a bit of a surprise. I think England went into the World Cup uh, probably many people's favourites, um, probably including their own, if you read their own press of late. So, um, look, nice rally check for them. I think they're the same as the Aussies. They're capable of beating anyone, but but they don't look to me to be the same sort of side that, that won the World Cup four years ago. I don't think they've got the same depth, um, particularly in their batting and um, and even with their bowling. I think they've sort of got Mo and Ali sitting on the bench. Uh, again, I'd be playing that second spin proper spin option if I was them instead of going with a Livingston or someone like that who's that sort of all-round type you can bowl a bit of part-time spin I think those players and teams that are going that way at the moment Aussies included are getting a little bit exposed so um, hopefully the Aussies turn it around and long may it continue for the English Good on you Tim I appreciate your time I know you're in demand certainly regarding World Cups and of course your experience in cricket we thank you for spending some moments with here on Sports Day WA and speaking to all your mates in Western Australia no worries at all. Thanks for having me. And hopefully, Tassie, have a uh, couple of good more days over there. Knock you guys <laughs> off. It'd be super. Good stuff. Good on you. Thanks for joining <laughs> no us, Tim. See you, mate. No problem. <laughs> uh, good on you, Tim. Tim Payne joining us on the program. Good man. Uh, 18 past five. Just on the temper of bedshed text machine. Uh, this is from Lise. Uh, Hi, Pete. That's the problem. He's, she's talking about Michael Pryor. Didn't think before he made that ridiculous statement. The Eagles now been in the system for four years and they should be playing better than what they're dishing up. There's only about four or five players who give their all in, week out, week in, week out. Now, Pryor should be looking at how he can make the team more competitive instead of taking pot shots at the AFL. And that's Lisa from Ellenbrook. You can join us any time at the temperate bedshed text machine, 0487 736 736. Talking about taking pot shots, 
As we go to the break, have a listen to this. Now, Dorking Wanderers manager Mark White. Now, he's delivered one of the most savage post-match takedowns that I've heard for a long, long time. Now, his side bowed out of the race in the FA Cup, which is the big cup competition in England. Now, it's a semi-professional team. It's earned 12 promotions across English non-league divisions. So it's now playing in the fifth tier, the National League, just outside League Two, which is the uh, English Football League. So they're just in the fifth tier. They lost 2-0 to Horsham, who play in the seventh tier, to ensure now that Dorking Wanderers won't feature in the FA Cup draw. And White didn't hold back when asked for his thoughts after the match in which he was just disgusted how they lost to Horsham. Have a listen to what the manager had to say about his team. They deserve to be, uh, fully deserve to be in the draw and hopefully, I really hope uh, they get something um, amazing that's life-changing so my players can learn lesson because they were so poor. And I'll tell you one thing, I will always put my hand up. It's not about availability, injuries, who was returning, who wasn't. It wasn't about that at all. Um, it was about the fact that that team let the fans down 100%, wholeheartedly. Sometimes I get the management team to take the blame, part blame, some blame, whatever. Today was wholeheartedly a bunch of players that were absolutely shit. The all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And Toolmark, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Yes, coming up but later on, we'll get a full trade update for you. Thanks to Continental Tyres, we know that Liam Henry has got to St Kilda and also Lockie Schultz from the Dockers has ended up at Collingwood. All the details, thanks to Continental Tyres, coming up shortly here on Sports Day WA. Don't forget also that Beaumont Tiles is giving away a trip for two to American football's biggest game worth over $70,000. Just shop in store at Beaumont's before November 12 and you're in with a chance to win. TNCs do apply. All right, let's roll into our top five at five. It's all thanks to Novus Auto Glass. There's a Novus Auto Glass near you, 13, 22, 34. The top five big stories across the last weekend. Number five. Think about it, strides up, drive it eye. Espion are trying to work into the clear. I wish I wins running behind them. He needs room as think about it, takes the lead narrowly. Think about it from cylinder, drive it eye. I wish I win. Think about it in front from I wish I win. Think about it. Think about it, won the Everest. Beat I wish I win. Drive it eye third. Yes, and would you believe one lucky punter is $10 million richer after pulling off a remarkable feat during this year's the Everest race. Now, a sport betting company promotion on the world's richest race on turf gave customers a free bet to correctly predict the finishing order of all 12 horses in the Everest. And you're right, this punter 
got it right from 1 through to 12. And, of course, it was uh, with Joseph Pride's trained thoroughbred. Think about it in the top spot. And the Gay Waterhouse and Adrian Bott trained alcohol free picking up the wooden spoon. 10 million bucks. Number four. Cognizant of the fact that Lockie's a, uh, a Fremantle um, contracted player, so he had a contract for 2024 with them. And, you know, there was always uh, the issue, that I suppose, well, not the issue, but the, the fact that Lockie could um, return to, to Freo and play with them and they were they would have been quite happy with that. So we, we knew it was going to be a, um, a difficult trade to get done, but you know, we, we, uh, in our belief that Lockie was probably the best player in the um, in the traded or, or free agent group. So we were, um, you know, we really excited to have him uh, part of Collingwood. It was a difficult decision to agree for a trade for uh, Lockie Schultz, uh, given his performances with us. Um, but uh, for reasons that we've spoken about previously, uh, we've agreed to the trade with Collingwood. Um, and we feel that it's really strong value for Shooter. Um, obviously, getting into next year's draft, and in particular the, the first round, we know that Collingwood certainly can't go any better than what they did this year. So uh, potentially there might be a bit of upside there if, if they don't win the premiership next year. Uh, we really like next year's draft, uh, but we've also been able to uh, improve our draft hand in the 2023 draft by virtue of their pick 34. So there's... There's Graham Wright, uh, the head of football at Collingwood, and Peter Bell, uh, likewise, at Fremantle. Lockie Schultz uh, ending up at Collingwood today. Freo pick, uh, get pick 34 in this year's draft, along with a future first-round selection. But we'll have a full wrap-up of the AFL trade news a bit later in uh, Sports Day with Peter Vlahos here this afternoon. Number three. It came down to the 18th, and Minwoo Lee with this putt for a 63. <laughs> 30 under par for four rounds on the Macau Golf and Country Club. Min Woo Lee is the Macau Open champion. And congratulations to him, the city of Fremantle golfer, uh, rising Australian golfing talent, uh, Min Woo Lee. He claimed a wire-to-wire win at the Macau Open to secure his first title in two years. He's only 25 years of age. He shot a final round 63 to secure a two-shot victory over Thailand's Pune Saksanen in uh, China on Sunday. Lee, by the way, who's ranked 47 in the world in the lead-up to the Asian Tour Tournament, finished at 30 under par to set a new record at the event. Number two. Yeah. Hold him! And it is over, and Afghanistan have the greatest victory in their history. This has been a remarkable evening here in Delhi. They have outplayed England and a huge smile on the face of their coach, Jonathan Trott, and their players now who gather in a huddle. Glum faces in the England dressing room. Their World Cup qualification now hanging by a thread. It's a very proud moment to be uh, here in the World Cup and beating uh, champions, you know, uh, last World Cup champion and uh, it's a great achievement for the whole nation, for the whole team uh, and uh, I think this is a kind of opportunity in work we were hard for this day that uh, we beat such a big team but uh, so happy for this performance and uh, it was a wonderful performance by the bowlers in the batters. And that's uh, the Afghanistan captain Hashmafullah Shahidi uh, really happy as you would be 
after Afghanistan shatters England's title defence at the Cricket World Cup last night. They won by 69 runs in one of the biggest shocks in the tournament's history. Now, Afghanistan was dismissed for 284 with one ball of its innings remaining in Delhi, but bowled England out for 215, and they had 9.3 overs left. Only Harry Brook offered any serious resistance with the bat. He hit 61 off 66 balls. Number one. Doza is in a dangerous position because Tim Zoom, he wants to finish. He wants a statement. Uppercuts, rein in. Mendoza, oh, incredibly remains on his feet. He just keeps on punching and breaking Mendoza to pieces. And they'll go the distance. Tim Zoo, you said that you didn't feel any different being a world champion, but now that you've won a fight, you've defended your belt, do you feel different? Charlo, where you at? Where you at, buddy? What do you think Jamel Charlo would have thought watching that performance? He'll probably, in his delusional head, he'll probably think that he's going to beat me. Come get it. Come get it. Do you think he will come get it? Yeah, for sure, man. He, he fought Canelo, man. Best pound-for-pound fighter in the world, you know. I think now, let's prove he's the, he is the best 154, but let's prove, prove it to everyone who is really the king of the division. There you go, Tim Zhu. Uh, it was a big one, wasn't it? Uh, he overcame the toughest challenge of his boxing career to defend the full WBO super welterweight title, in a brutal encounter with Brian Mendoza on the Gold Coast. Now, Zhu improves his record to 24-0, won by unanimous decision after 12 brutal rounds on all three judges' scorecards in what's likely to be the final fight for some time on Australian soil. Now, American beckons for Zhu, whose relentless power was on full display as he outlasted a brave Mendoza. And it was huge. You heard him say, Charlo... Uh, Zoo mocked after the fight, pointing to the belt that just months ago was round the waist of former undisputed champion Jamel Charlo. So uh, we'll follow Tim Zoo's career with a heck of a lot of interest. So there you go, the top five at five, brought to you by our friends at Novus Autoglass. Don't let your old windscreen end up as landfill. Call Novus Autoglass 13 22 34, and we do it every Monday. And don't forget, Jump on board, uh, and they need your support. They've had a pretty tough weekend, the Perth Wildcats. But, of course, you can get on board and support them when they play at RAC Arena. Join the Red Army this NBL season by becoming a Perth Wildcats member today. And the season is still young in the NBL. Still uh, plenty of scope for the Wildcats to make a real impression as the season continues. It's uh, 26 to 6. You're with Peter Vlahos. Uh, we're here on Sports Day WA for the Kia EV6 GT. World Performance Car of the Year. And Toolmart, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 45 years. Huge result by the A-League Perth Glory Women's on the weekend. They are, even after one game, seemingly making a statement after what has been a huge recruiting drive during the off-season. We'll speak to a 20-year-old that is going places and a Matilda's spot beckons for her. 
We'll talk to her next here on Sports Day WA. The all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And Toolmark, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Charlie back for Varro. Just a little bit too far ahead of her, but still alive for Perth Glory. The opportunity, trying to curl it around. The first goal of the season for Perth Glory, and they break the deadlock here at Macedonia Park. A sensational goal. Jale striking from range. Oh, my. Great Jale. Take a bow. Unbelievable strike. Coming in at a rate of knots. And the World Cup hero goes bang. It's two for Perth Glory. And in what fashion. Yeah, a couple of classic goals as the Perth Glory in the A-League women's got their campaign off to the best possible start with a 2-0 win at home over grand finalists of last season, Western United. I know that Alex Aparkas and the management have recruited very wisely indeed during the off-season and I think there's some exciting times ahead for the Perth Glory women's team. Well, one of the ladies has been steadfast and has been there since about 2019 when she debuted as a teenager. She's only 20 years of age and has already represented Australia at under 17, under 20 and under 23 level is our very own Hannah Lowry and she joins us on the program. Now, Hannah, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. I can't believe you're still 20. You just turned 20 a few months ago. (laughs) I know, it's a bit crazy. It feels like I've been around for a while now, but yeah. (laughs) Still pretty young, I guess. <laughs> well, I know when it comes to the Perth Glory team sheet, uh, you're one of the first names on Alex Parker's team sheet because you're so reliable and do such a great job. Congratulations also on achieving 50 A-League games already at, by the age of 20. Uh, that, you must be very proud of what you've done so far. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, it was always my dream to play for Glory, but to have been able to represent the club 50 times now is pretty special. And I think... You know, now it's just about me using that experience to kind of, you know, guide the younger ones and, you know, hopefully take it into this season and use it to, you know, help us get better, I guess. You're a real skillful midfielder. I've seen you play at times and uh, you certainly uh, know your football very well from the middle of the park. But how exciting was it on Saturday night with uh, a great start to the campaign? Yeah, it was super exciting. I think, you know, going into the game, we knew it would be tough against Western, obviously, grand finalists last season. But we were pretty strong about the idea that we wanted to go and get a result. And, yeah, I don't think we wanted to leave without the three points and we were able to walk away with it. So we were super happy in the end. A couple of classic goals as well. Yeah, yeah, really good. I mean, Susan played amazing the whole game, so it was really great for her to get her goal. And then Grace's goal was just unbelievable. I got a good view of it from behind and she just hit it so well. So, yeah, really happy for them both. Tell us about Grace uh, Jale. We saw her at the launch. As we know, she played for New Zealand. She's the New Zealand attacker, part of the Women's World Cup. And now she's playing for the Perth Glory. What do you think she's going to add to the squad this season? Yeah, I think she's been an excellent addition to the team. I think both on and off the pitch, obviously, she brings a lot of experience both in the A-League now, but also at an international level. Um, she's a great character off the pitch and then on the pitch, you know, you saw it on the weekend, she scores goals, she's quick, she makes runs in behind. And I think, you know, 
her and Millie will really work well together this season. So what about uh, some of the new faces there? You've been there since 2019. Uh, initially, it was pretty tough. There was one season where the Glory only, Glory only basically got one point for the season. I think it may have been a draw against Canberra. But since then, it's been a steady rise up the A-League women's ladder with the hope maybe finals football will be there for you this season. You can give us a bit of a hindsight and a bit of judgment on just the strengths of this squad. Is it the best you've played with? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think, you know, Alex has been here for a few seasons now and every year he's just built um, each season. And I think, you know, we've managed to keep a core group and then just each season adding new additions who have always added things. But like you said, I think finals is the benchmark for us now. You know, last few seasons we did well, but we, we just missed out on finals. So I think that's the goal we're all going into this season. And I think we've got the quality to be able to do that. Hannah, from a personal point of view, I know you've been looked at uh, for possibly uh, a Matilda's call-up. Um, where do you think you sit with your football? After all, you have represented this country at youth level. That must be one of your goals. Yeah, for sure. I think, you know, the Matildas has always been my dream ever since I was young. But, you know, I've just got to keep working at it and hopefully one day that will come. And if it does, yeah, that would obviously be a dream come true. So... What about your thoughts going forward? Are you happy at the Perth Glory? As we know, a lot of Matilda's players now play overseas. Have you got aspirations to maybe try your luck overseas one day? Yeah, of course. I think eventually that would be my goal is to make a move overseas. I mean, at the moment, I'm super happy at Perth. Um, I think, you know, I'm still young, still getting a lot of experience, but eventually I would love to make that move. And when that happens, I guess it'll feel like the time's right. But at the moment... I'm just focusing on this season with Glory. Hannah, when did it all start for you? Did it start when you were very little? And uh, who was the person that introduced you to the world game? Yeah, I was quite I was quite young when I started out. I, um, I think I was about seven when I first joined a club. But before then, I would always go watch my brother play. And I would always be jealous that he was playing because I started off doing ballet and I didn't really enjoy it. I always wanted to play <laughs> football. Um, so, yeah, I think he was the biggest reason of me starting out and both my parents were big football fans. We were always watching it on the TV and stuff, so I always had that passion, I think. Who's your hero? Who did you look up to when you were growing up? Um, I think in terms of football players, probably Steven Gerrard because I was a big Liverpool supporter growing up, still am. Um, and I think in terms of just my family, my brother's probably a massive role model for me. Growing up, him playing, I always wanted to, you know, be better than him and he would always push me. So I'd say they were probably my two biggest role models. We know that Sam Kerr moved on from the Perth Glory after uh, a phenomenal first few seasons. We know what she's doing now. And Tash Rigby now is heading into her fifth season wearing the captain's armband. Your thoughts on the captain? Yeah, I mean, Tash is unbelievable. You know, I've obviously been around her since I was really young and she's just helped me improve as a player and as a person. And, you know, I couldn't think of anyone that's better deserving of the captaincy. She brings so much energy to the team. She's always positive, And I think she's really going to help drive us in, you know, difficult games. Good on you, Hannah. Well, congratulations for Saturday night. I'm just having a look. Uh, it's a double header this Sunday, which is going to be fantastic. We've got the Glory Women taking on the Newcastle Jets. It's a two o'clock kickoff, and that'll be followed by the Perth Glory uh, taking on the Newcastle Jets in the A-League men. So it's going to be a fantastic afternoon at HBF Park. You must be looking forward to it. 
Yeah, definitely. I think it's really exciting to have a double header at HBF. We haven't had one in a while, so hopefully we can get a good crowd and get a good result. Yeah, get there nice and early. Hannah, thanks for your time and congratulations on your career so far. You're going places. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate it. Hannah Lowry joining us here on the program. Uh, a young gun at the Perth Glory. Been there for a number of years and she's still only 20 years of age. As we go to the break for Polaris, Australia's number one selling side-by-side brand. Let's update the cricket. Sri Lanka has started very well. They're going at 5.74 runs and over. We're in the 16th over. And uh, Zampa has just been hit for four. So they're no wicket for 91. No wicket for 91 currently. Uh, Sri Lanka. And we're in the 16th over. Uh, and as I said, Australia need to win this to just keep in touch after losing to India and South Africa. And in the shield uh, across the road at the Wacker, Tasmania all out for 439 a bit earlier today. And WA in reply, nearing stumps, no wicket for 135. That's for Polaris. Their plate clearance deals are on now. Save $2,000 on the range of 1,000 EPS, plus get $1,000 free accessories. We'll update all the trade news after the break here on Sports Day WA. The all-electric Kia EV6 with up to 528 kilometres of range. And Toolmark, the complete tool centre, serving WA for over 40 years. This is Sports Day. Yes, great to have your company. Firstly, before you look at the trades, the leg up is Australia's fastest growing tipping service. Tomorrow, Newcastle race eight, number one. How it's Kev. How it's Kev. Was first up for the new stable, Martin Eustace, when firm in the market and simply had no luck getting clear, galloping room at a key stage. He hit the line well when clear and could argue that he wins the race with even luck. He drops in grade and comes in with less weight due to the claim for Anna Roper. Can win at almost double figure odds. So get a leg up on the bookies with Australia's fast-growing tipping service, thelegup.com.au. And now for Irrigear. Irrigear is here to save time and water. Let's have a look at the trade details today. As we know, the 2023 AFL trade period is on the home straight with some big deals still expected in the closing days. But the ones today, uh, Lockie Neal, he got his wish with Collingwood finally producing a deal that kept the Dockers happy enough. Frio received pick 34 in this year's draft, along with a future first-round selection. The Saints also got their man. Liam Henry is now out of Frio. St Kilda traded a future second-round pick and a future fourth-round pick to Frio for Liam Henry and a future fourth-round pick. So a pretty good result for the Saints, you'd have to say. So as it stands now, Fremantle have picks 34, 46, 60 and 64 in 2023. Not a whole lot to get really excited about there, but next year in 2024, they have already overflown with top picks. They've got their own first-round pick, Collingwood's first-round pick, Port Adelaide's first-round pick, and St Kilda's second-round pick. So there you go. So they're all loading up for next year. Lockie Schultz, of course. I said Lockie Neal. I mean Lockie Schultz, of course. A couple of Lockies. Uh, that's all thanks to Irrigear, which offers expert advice and better irrigation solutions to save time and water. Irrigear is here. Yes, Lockie Neal. He didn't get in the All-Australian. Didn't win the Brisbane Lions best and fairest, but won his second Brownlow medal. Anyway, thanks, Connor. Thanks very much, Jimmy. EP doing a great job. I'll be back again tomorrow from 5. Thanks for joining us on the program. The cricket, by the way, Sri Lanka, none for 96.